Welcome to today's edition of the Bible Class. Our teacher, Dr. Kenneth C. Hill, is teaching from the New Testament book of 2 Peter. You may send your questions by email through our website at whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. You may mail your questions to the Bible Class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bluntville, Tennessee, 37617. And now, here is Dr. Hill with today's lesson. Welcome to the Bible class. We're continuing our study in the second general epistle of Peter. And we are in chapter 1. We find ourselves at verse 16. Peter has already written... I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. That is, this desire and necessity of maturity in Christ. And then he goes on in verse 16, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Peter, in this portion of Scripture, presents his claim as being an eyewitness of the majesty of Christ at his transformation. When he was revealed, that is, Christ was revealed as the very Son of God in this beautiful glory, he was revealed to Peter, to James, and John in all of the glory of God. And in reference, you can see that in Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. That's the first reference in the New Testament of this very thing. And he, that is Peter, is saying, I was there. In Matthew 17, Jesus the Christ was temporarily glorified in the presence of these three disciples. 
This act was a foreshadowing of Christ's coming in power and glory to establish his kingdom. The presence of Moses and Elijah on the mountain represented all those who entered the kingdom by death or by translation. Moses by death, Elijah by translation. We who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet him in the air, that is, by translation. Those who are the dead in Christ shall rise first, that is, by death. When Christ comes, we will rise to meet him when he comes for his own. The declaration of God the Father reinforces Christ's dominion over his kingdom in Matthew 17. Christians live expectantly, looking forward to the return of Christ, and when they do that, they should always give Christ first place in their lives today. They're going to have to give him first place in their lives in the kingdom, so why not give him first place in their lives today? I don't understand, and I, I'm being terribly, terribly plain and honest here. If we're going to give Christ first place when he comes for his own, and that is just a day or two from now, it's not far away, and that's figuratively speaking, of course, I don't know what day it's going to be, but it's not going to be long. If, if we're going to be giving ourselves to Christ fully, and if he's going to have first place in our lives then, why doesn't he have first place in our lives now? Let's go to Matthew 17. Let's pick this story up where Peter here is talking to us in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 16. In Matthew 17, it reads this way, verse 1, And after six days Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias, or Elijah, talking with them. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Now listen to what Peter did. He said this, If thou wilt, if you will allow us, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now think about that. While he yet spake, he had not even finished, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Not a dark cloud, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, of course this was the voice of God, when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. Rightly so, we might say. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. Now, we'll leave the story there. There's wonderful things to study here 
in Matthew 17, but we'll leave the story there. When Peter, James, and John went up to this high mountain, and Christ was glorified, and Moses and Elijah, one who had been taken by death, one who had been translated by rapture, if you will, by being taken away, Moses and Elijah were talking with Christ. And Peter, in his spontaneity, says, Why don't we build three places, three houses, three tabernacles, three tents, uh, three lean-tos, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah? How silly in the one sense, how profound in another. It was profound in that Peter was willing to build a place of remembrance. It was silly in the fact that Peter did not realize what had just happened. He's like me and you probably would have been, at least certainly I can speak for myself, and I can tell you that I probably would have been just as awestruck and dumbfounded as Peter was. Peter was looking on the human side and said, Jesus has been transfigured, and Moses and Elijah, we know that's who they are. They weren't introduced. Hi, this is Moses. want you to meet Peter. None of that. They just recognized them automatically in their spirit. They recognized Moses and Elijah. And he thought, well, from the human perspective, let's have a place to remember these three here, and we'll put Christ with Moses and Elijah. But not only was Christ transfigured, but he was <laughs> he was far and above this transfiguration. You see, this was this was to give a, a sight for Peter, James, and John for them to understand the glory that is Christ's own in heaven. This was to allow them to know that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Not to make him one of the boys, which is what Peter was wanting to do. And so this bright cloud came, and God spoke out of the cloud, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. They responded properly. They fell on their face. They were sore afraid. And Jesus touched them and told them to get up and don't be afraid. When they lifted up their eyes, everybody was gone except Jesus. Now that's what God wanted them to see was that Jesus is only, the only man, God, and God, man. Jesus Christ was clothed in flesh, and when transfiguration took place, it allowed him to be seen for who he was, the magnificent and majestic Son of the living God. Now, I was just struck as I began to study Second Peter in this session, was struck by the thought 
This is an eyewitness to the majesty of Christ. And he was a, an eyewitness to that majesty along with James and John. He was an eyewitness while still in the flesh. And he wrote of it while still in the flesh. And this was just as if he were writing a letter to his friend. And we received it. Isn't that exciting? I think it is. He says, we haven't made up lies. We haven't put fables together. We have made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, I was an eyewitness of his majesty, says Peter. He received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And the voice went on to say, This is the voice of God, Hear ye him. Verse 18, And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were in uh, with him, with Christ, in the holy mount. Here, Peter is saying, I've experienced something that you have not experienced. I want you to know that we've never lied. We've never made up stories about the power and the advent of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been eyewitnesses to his glory, to his majesty. We have heard God the Father speak to us audibly. How many human beings can truthfully say that in a situation such as this, that they have ever been where God spoke audibly to them. Not only did God the Father speak to them, God the, the, the Son, Jesus Christ himself, was there being spoken of even as his Father was speaking. Verse 19, we have a more sure word of prophecy. How can you have a sure word of prophecy? Well, if it's true prophecy, it's a sure word. If it is a prophetic utterance that comes from God through one of his prophets, it is a sure word of prophecy. It will come to pass. We know that a prophet who is a true prophet of God will tell you the truth. You will be able to follow it. You will know when it comes to pass. There will be no question about the very fact that it comes to pass. If the person is a false prophet and not a prophet of God, but a prophet of themselves, then what they say may or may not come to pass. And if it doesn't come to pass, then you know they're not a prophet of God. The Old Testament prescription was if they stand and proclaim that they're a prophet of God and what they tell you does not come to pass, they are to be put to death because they've been lying in the name of God. And God does not allow lying. God does not lie. He's not a human that he should lie. 
and he doesn't use humans to lie on his behalf. Unlike some gods that are portrayed in various so-called scriptures, these are gods that are not gods, they lie. They use subterfuge. They tell people falsehoods so they can get what they want. Those capricious style of gods, little g, will burn, if they ever existed, will burn in the lake of fire forever because they're nothing but demonic spirits. And he says, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. A more sure word of prophecy. Not only a sure word of prophecy, which we said every prophet would have a sure word, one that you could trust, but this is a more sure word. It's a surely sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, that ye listen to this prophecy, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Just as if you are in a dark place and you have a light, you use the light to figure out where to go in that dark place. How to walk, where to be, how to sit, where to be. At all times, you use that light to see how to get around. Well, it is true that we should take heed unto this more sure word of prophecy. Now, the more sure word of prophecy, of course, does not refer to a man's speech. It refers to the infallibility of God's word, the scripture, the Bible. The greatest and clearest revelation of God to man is God's word. We can use the word prophecy here properly as the telling forth of God's Word. It's God's revelation. It's a general term for divine revelation. It is not always used as telling future events. It is always used, always used, of telling forth the truth. Whether those events be future or past, you tell forth the truth. But he says here, we have also a more sure word of prophecy Whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. This is the word of God. There's no private interpretation, no origination that comes from some human being. True revelation does not originate by the will of man. It comes from God through the holy men who were godly human instruments of recording God's message and passing it on to others. They were moved by the Holy Spirit, describing the process of the revelation and inspiration of these that wrote the Bible. The word moved means to be carried along as a sailboat in the wind. And so human beings then were moved by the Holy Spirit so that they were the ones that God used to write his inerrant word and to record it for all of posterity. Verse 20 and 21, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures of any private interpretation didn't come privately. It came from God. It was not originated by humankind. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, 
but holy men of God. Notice the adjective there, holy. The holy men of God spake and wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. In our next session, Lord willing, I want us to talk about the holy men of God, the 40 or so that wrote the scriptures, the 40 men or so that spake as they were moved and wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Thank you for joining us today for this edition of the Bible Class with Dr. Kenneth C. Hill. You may reach us by email by going to our website, whcbradio.org, and sending us an email on the Contact Us link. That's whcbradio.org. If you prefer to use the Postal Service, our address is the Bible Class, WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bluntville, Tennessee, 37617. That's the Bible Class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bluntville, Tennessee, 37617. You may also call us at 423-878-6279. Until our next Bible Class program, we are trusting that the Lord will richly bless you as you serve Him.